not gotten invited to your house yet, so I guess you're going to have to bring it. And uh, bring the family size dish, a couple of them if you want, whatever, 5 o'clock. And uh, it is NFL kickoff day. Some of you are looking forward to that season. Others of you couldn't care less. Yeah. But uh, we are kicking off fall ministry tonight, and so I trust that you're here. My name is Carrie. If you're new, we are glad to have you here. And uh, we just sort of getting ourselves realigned and heading into the fall and what's going on and getting back into a routine. And uh, this is a special day, as mentioned, and I want to have us just lead off with a word of prayer because I love this body. I love Jesus Christ, and I think God's doing some really cool things. And I think Jesus Christ, who's ahead of this body, wants to speak into our life as individuals, as families, and as a church family today. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we worship you in spirit and we worship you in truth because you told us that's how we need to worship. Lord, we pray that our spirit would connect with your spirit as your spirit speaks to us. And we pray that we would reflect on truth in a world that has a lot of error and confusion and relevancy being thrown around. We are grateful that there is truth and that you are the truth. And so we want to worship you in your word. Lord, we pray that you would lead us to be a continuation of all those who have come before us since you walked on this earth. And until you come again, Lord, may you be glorified in our body. As the awakening church, Lord, but as the church of Jesus Christ in this valley with all other followers of you, we pray, Jesus, that we would be glorifying and honoring to you as we worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen. Hard to really believe it was 15 years ago today, September 11th, 2001, that our world changed. Literally changed. You think about some of the innocence uh, concerning world issues that existed before 9-11 and the attacks on the Twin Towers in New York City. I did graduate work in New York City, just north of New York City, actually. That's where I went to seminary. And so for us to have people come visit and go down into Manhattan, to lower part of Manhattan, to go into the Twin Towers, to go up that crazy elevator all the way to the top had become a common occurrence. And so on that day that the planes flew into the towers, it was surreal for me as it was surreal for many of you going, no, that's, I, I've been there, that's, and then they fell. They fell. I remember I was sort of stunned watching it on TV and all that could come out of my mouth is, they came down. They came down. They came down. It's, it's just surreal. But there's a lot of other things that came down that day. Some of our innocence. One sense our hope. But there's some other things that began to raise up in that day. In fact, I remember gathering at the church I was pastor at at the time. We didn't quite know what to do, but it was all sort of sitting heavy on our hearts. And so we just opened up the church to have a time of prayer. And so people came. Word got out and around different ways. People came for prayer. We had scheduled service that week, of course, and, and we had our, you know, what we thought was supposed to be the direction to go. But that all got radically shifted. What we decided to do that Sunday morning is we brought out, brought out uh, our grand piano 
And uh, we put it right in the center of the stage. There's probably about 500, 600 people that showed up that day, um, probably a couple hundred more than normal. It was, the church was just filled. We put that grand piano in the middle. We put stools around it, and we as staff just sat there and shared, and we sang, and we predominantly sang hymns of the faith. And one of the reasons we sang hymns of the faith, because it would connect us with history. It gave us a sense of, I don't know, stability in one sense, because that's what people were looking for in many ways. It's like, my goodness, my world's turned upside down. Now now what's going on, or what does this mean? And so people gathered uh, in churches, some who hadn't been in churches for a long time, just to somehow find solace that there was maybe a God, but that there was some uh, normalness that was still going to carry forward into the future. Because at that time, tremendously, uh, a tremendous amount of n- unknown reality, right? And how it would continue on or not, all that was involved. So here we stand 15 years later. But it was interesting what happened during that time when... Um, People, their souls were sort of up in an upheaval. There was a tremendous um, looking back at the church, and some people started to come, as I mentioned, who had not been in church before. George Barnes says this, After the attack, millions of nominally churched or generally irreligious Americans were desperately seeking something that would restore stability and a sense of meaning in life. Fortunately, many of them turned to the church. Unfortunately, he says, though, churches succeeded at putting on a friendly face but failed at motivating the vast majority of spiritual explorers to connect with Christ in a more intimate or intense manner. Religion actually performs two different functions. One certainty is to transform lives in the long term. The failure, Barna laments. But religion also seeks to soothe in the short term. And there the good news uh, was to be had. Attendance at worship services across the nation increased 25% by some estimates after the attacks, as did Sunday school attendance and daily prayer. Gallup found that the percentage of Americans who said religion was very important to them increased from 57% to 67% after the attacks. But then things turned to normal, according to the Barna survey. Attendance at worship services reverted back to pre-attack levels. Sunday school attendance also leveled off. Those who said they believed in an all-powerful, all-knowing God dropped from 72% pre-attack to 68% afterwards. And confidence in moral absolute truth dropped from 38% to 22%. So we had this spike with the 9-11, people seeking and, and showing up, seeking cons- uh, you know, console us from God and with other people. But then it sort of came right back the downside of that scale and was lower than before. Now here's my thought this week in light of it, and we're actually going to spend a little bit of time at the end of our service today. And we have one of our elders uh, going to share a little bit and pray for us when I sing around commemorate that and pray but for the nation but here's my thought when i go back to 15 years ago oh i mean like i mean we're on sale but wow there are these people show up at church but then they sort of dissipated again and i'm thinking to myself well did we do a good enough job as the church but then you have to ask yourself what is the church's job 
Is the church's job to put on a great service, to have great music, good speaker, and, and some other kinds of elements going, and, and then see you later? What is the church's job? Well, the church is not about putting on a service, though we think in terms of it a lot. The church is about being the presence and the power of Jesus himself in people's lives. And so they showed up, and then they disappeared. Now, maybe they gave the church a chance, or maybe the church didn't give them a chance. Because the church wasn't being the church. And it's not a question I asked about 15 years ago. I ask that question every week. Is the church being the church? Are we able to be what God intends for us to be one with another? You see, when Jesus started this movement that we're a part of, he had a big vision for what the church, the ecclesia, the drawn out ones, the ones who were associated with him as his followers, he had this vision for what the church was to be. And so as we step into the fall, it'd be only appropriate to say, is the church being the church in his original heart and his intent? And are you participating in church? Are you about ready to check out of church? Or maybe you checked out and today you're showing up to give it one more shot. Ah, music wasn't too bad. Joe's a pretty cool guy. Yeah, you know, speaker guy did he? Yeah, he did okay. Went a little too long again. But other than that, he's fine. <laughs> My kids like the children's ministry, what they were a part of. What are we having for lunch? And on we go. We evaluated the production. But that's not what the church is to be. The church is to be a community of people that are the living power in the presence of Christ. And was the church the church for those who were seeking something 15 years ago? Is the church the church for you seeking today? And so if I don't call us to attention at the first part of the fall, especially as we've been talking about group life and stepping into group life and you know, rooted and all that kind of stuff, is that we will get ourselves sideways. What's the coaches of the NFL doing today in those locker rooms? They're reminding their men of what they're to be about. They want to win the game, but everyone has their own function that they need to practice They need to have the fundamentals right. They need to not have errors. They need to make sure their assignments are true. They need to, you know, stay in a state of focus. A coach will challenge a team. And so in one sense, I just felt I need to challenge us as a team because life is so, so desperately in need of churches that is the power and the presence of Jesus. That if we get sideways and we get off on some other agendas, we will fail. We will fail individuals. We will fail families. We will fail a nation. And most importantly, we will fail God. What was Jesus' intent? Well, Jesus, he left the church with some marching orders. The people took those marching orders And they began to march forward. And the people, they started to become, bless my clicker down here. The people started 
to become known by a special name. And it's a name that we don't use today. If you were to ask for certain names today, you would say, well, people that are followers of Christ are called Christians, right? They actually weren't called Christians in those first few days, those first few weeks and months. Some were called a sect of the Nazarenes. Jesus was from Nazareth. So these were Jewish people that started to follow a rabbi from Nazareth who seemingly had died and come back to life. There was a sectarian group of the Nazarenes. Some were referred to as sheep amongst themselves. But there was a name that was given to the people that were followers of Christ. And it's this name. They were a people of the way. The way. And you'll find it in different places in Scripture. I just want to take you through a few. In Acts 9, 1 and 2, uh, while Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Who's Saul? Paul. Paul, Jewish, big-time leader, religious zealot. He was persecuting these people who were followers of this sectarian rabbi from Nazareth. He was persecuting them. He went to the high priest and he asked them for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, it says in Acts 9.1. And so that if he found any there in Damascus who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, we know what happened to Saul on the way to Damascus, right? He ran into Jesus. In a blinding light, the resurrected Jesus converted Saul, he became Paul, and he became the leader of the missionary movement of the way around the world. In Acts 19, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke uh, boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, but some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them, he took the disciples with him, and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. A little bit later on in Acts 19, verse 23, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. Why doesn't it say the church, or the Christians, or the sectarian group of Nazarene people from the Nazareth? They were called people of the way. Acts 24 My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple, Paul says, or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. Paul is giving his defense. However, I admit, Paul says, that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which other people call a sect. Then Felix, who was the governor, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Silsius, the commander, comes, he says, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and to permit his friends, his friends of the way, to take care of his needs. So you find as you're just casually doing a reading through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, after Jesus left, that this movement of people, the team, was called the way. We don't use that today. I like it. One of the reasons I think some of you older will understand that we didn't use is because it was associated with a cult called the Way International. Any of you ever know that? See, you probably don't even know it. But I like the Way. But then you have to ask yourself, well, why were they called the people of the Way? What does it mean, the people of 
the way? Well, there's some different options. Jesus himself. He said this in Matthew 7:13, "Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it." So the way could be the reference of Jesus's teachings that if you want to find life if you want to find purpose, if you want to find power for your existence, if you want to find love, that there is a way, a path in one sense that you need to go. You need to go this way, but you need to know this way through that gate is narrow. Narrow. But there's another way that you can find yourself where the majority of people are. And that's the broad way. It's the broad way to destruction. Now, we got two doors here. You could go out that door, out three, I know, but two out doors go outside, one there and one there. And I'm thinking, you know, well, we got, we got a couple gates here. And I know they're the same size, but in God's mind, that there is a, a chance with a group this size, typical group of culture, normal society, that there's some that are going to go out that door when I say fire, and some that are going to go out that door when you say fire, right? Well, in the kingdom of God, Jesus is simply saying that there's a door that the vast majority, this whole, you're going to try to cram out that door. It's a, what? It's a broad door in one sense. It leads to destruction, though. Then there's a small contingency that's going to go through that door that way. And so if you ever get discouraged, especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, it's always going to be that there's a vast majority that are going out the door, the gate, that leads to destruction that's very broad and big. Hey, happy-go-lucky, we're out of here, we're having fun. But they don't know what's on the other side of that door outside this world that we have. But through the door that's narrow, a few find it. But that door leads to life. So maybe they were going around during that day saying, we are the people of the way, the true way, the narrow way that leads to life, that leads to eternity. We are the people of the right way. Or maybe they called themselves the people of the way because of the profound statement of Jesus himself. Let's read this together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. People of the way were people of Jesus. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Who do you identify with? What team are you on? How many of you are going to be cheering? We'll just do I, always, I wanted to do this for a while. Now that we have a team in Los Angeles, I can how many of you, and I'll start out with probably the louder people, how many of you are Seattle Seahawks fans? Woo! There's a few of you. Yeah. That's good. If they don't stand for the national anthem today, though, I don't know. How many of you are San Diego Chargers fans? What is the deal with people not owning San Diego? How many of you are going to be Los Angeles Rams fans? Woo! Not bad. 
I'll stay on the east, I mean the west coast here a little bit. Any Denver Bronco fans? Phoenix Cardinal fans? Any Indianapolis Colts fans? Yes. Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting. You know, because of all the history going on there immediately, I'm just 49er fans. You see, we all sort of like to identify with a team, right? We get around a team, and it's a little diversion. You just sort of watch your team, that kind of deal. Well, in that day, in that culture, there was a team called The Way. And those who were on The Way, they knew that they were part of that team. They were followers of Christ. But they didn't go around boastfully going, hey, 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 look, look at the gear I'm wearing. I'm The Way. I'm The Way team. They did not do it by boasting with loudness of mouth or being bombastic. And in the, they showed themselves to be a part of the way, the team, by how they lived their lives. I firmly believe that they were given the title, the people of the way, because of their actions, their attitudes. <laughs> Their words, yes, but their words of love, their words of kindness, their words of encouragement, exhortation, even speaking truth, sometimes tough love type of truth. The people who are part of the way team, they were so marked that the people on the outside going through the broad door of destruction were just taken back and going, wow. Now, some people were bothered by it. Because it cut them to the quick. It showed them their own personal lives were not living up to that or in the lives of following Christ. They didn't want to follow that leader. And so they were obstinate. But others were endeared towards people of the way. Well, I just, you know, that is so neat to be a part of the way. And you may persuade people to try to cheer for your team or be a part of this and that, you know, and that's my people sort of flip teams here to there. But I tell you what, in that culture, this wasn't no team sport. This was an activity of lifestyle that was contagious and was attractive, and people were drawn to it. I'm always disappointed sometimes when people say, I used to go to church. I gave church a try. I want, what do you do? What do you mean you gave church a try? Maybe you showed up a few services, maybe you hung out in a few meetings, but did you really get immersed with the people of Christ who are trying to be the body and the presence of Christ? Did you open up, become vulnerable and transparent? Did you seek to live out the commands of Christ? Did you become a part of a community? Did you really get a part of the way? You know, sometimes it says that Christianity has not been tried and found wanting, but that Christianity has been tried and found difficult, too difficult. And it is, because you know what needs to happen if you're a part of the way? You need to sort of die to your own agenda, as difficult and challenging as your life is, and choose to give your life away for others. We have small groups starting up, life groups we call them. I'm not interested in a program of small groups. Programs come and go. I'm not interested in you becoming a part of a life group just so you can check it off your list because we have enough things to check off our list all week long. I want you to be a part of a life group because I want you to be a part of the way. 
And to be a part of the way means you give your life away, one for another. And our group life, if we are not reflecting the people of the way and how they live in the New Testament and the first centuries, then we probably just ought to pack up and go do something else because there's a lot of other fun things that we can do. But the problem is you were built to be a part of a community of people who give their lives away one for another. That's what Jesus did. It says, I came to seek and to save the lost, to give my life as a ransom for many. If you want to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for me and my sake, you will find it. There is something so countercultural in the world that we live that says, if you want to find life, give life away. But you and I, we're challenged to do that. We're challenged to do that because of the many things um, that are challenges every single day. This picture, I mentioned it before, hangs in my mother's living room. It's a picture of Jesus on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. These two gentlemen do not know yet that that's Jesus raised from the dead. I think of Jesus walking along a path, a way, imparting his life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so when I think in terms of being a people of the way, it's the narrow way, but it's the way of Jesus. It's the way of Jesus himself imparting his life to me. So I state this. Being a follower of the way, though, is not a path to travel, but a pattern to follow and a person for whom to live. Those that followed the way modeled their lives after Jesus Christ. And they believed that the way he lived is the absolute best way to live. Referring to the church as the way indicates the people of God were called to action. They were a model of interacting with the world, interjecting the culture with life and love of Jesus Christ, the one who proclaims he is the way and the truth and the life. There's a book called The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Scott Stark. Excuse me. And he goes back and he climbs into the first century world and what happened with the people of the way and then the second century and the third century because we hear and, and we knew this from the journey we took this summer. If you were part of the way, you were under a degree of persecution. But then things sort of flipped in 300, what, 312 or whatever, and Constantine uh, became a Christian, and then all of Roman Empire, they were decreed to be Christians. But if you go back and you take those first 300 years, it's, it's believed that the way, the way that the people of the way were living was so strong and powerful that there was no way that the Roman world could contain what was happening. No way that the Roman world could contain what was happening. One church father, Tertullian, around 215, said this, It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. Look how they love one another. I want to read for you one other aspect. It comes from a single writing that we got, epistle from Diognetius, In A.D. 130, he says this, For the Christians are distinguished 
from other men, neither by country nor language nor customs which they observe. For they neither inhabit cities of their own nor employ a peculiar form of speech nor lead a life which is marked out by singularity. The course of conduct with which they follow has not been devised by any speculation or deliberation of inquisitive men, nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves advocates of any merely human doctrines. But inhabiting the Greek as well as the barbarian cities, according as the lot of each of them is determined and following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct, they display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. And that method of life was giving themselves away to other people. In those days, they didn't have a lot of modern medicine. There were these plagues that hit. And I give reference to this before, these plagues that hit. And people were dying right and left. They didn't understand about microorganisms and all that was going on. And so people would just flee out of towns when people were dying. And others were kicked into the streets. Another note by Dionysius Bishop, or pastor of Alexandria, writes how the believers responded to one of the plagues. Most of our brethren Christians showed unboundless love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of presbyters, deacons, and laymen winning height recommendations so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. He continues, the heathen behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses. And they treated unburied corpses as dirt. Now, it's hard for us to really try to comprehend this, but you go back to those first centuries. You're looking around, who are the people that were the first responders. The people that were the first responders were the people of the way. So much so that they took the disease upon themselves and were afflicted. My daughter's been sick this week. She chose to sleep in our bed. I chose not to sleep in our bed. Why? Because I did not want to get sick, right? So I will go sleep in another bed for a couple days. In fact, I was folding laundry on the bed last night, and I'm thinking to myself, are there germs here? They're now going to get on my clothes. You know, you think that kind of thing, right? Well, the Christians in that day, no second thought. These people were dying. They needed to die with dignity. And what ended up happening was they would give them food. They would give them water. They would minister care to them. Other people fled the cities so they would not become contaminated. Many of those that were cared for made it through. And when they made it through, who did they remember? They remembered the people the way, the Christians, the Christ followers, because they acted out of selflessness and gave themselves away. In fact, those who were against the Christians of the way, they came back and realized, I can't believe you did this. It's said that the movement of Christianity from the small group of disciples Jesus had to taking over the known world at that time in 300 short years 
happened not because of Roman emperors and mandates. It happened because people chose to be Jesus to others. Now, why is this important for me to give a rally call here? Because I do not want us to fill our fall season with programs, with groups, with agendas to mark off. Even kids' company has to have a purpose other than just, hey, a nice musical. We want to come together as a community and love and encourage one another because you and I, we have been brought up, and this is true of pastors today, we have been brought up in a world of isolation and individualism. We don't know any other kind of world many times. If I was to go around this room and say, I want you to name for me five significant friends that would be there for you, that would minister over to you, even if they picked up your disease. Who are the five? I'm not talking about family right now. Families assume. Who are five people that you can pick up and call on the phone and bear your soul with and break down and cry about the week that you've had? Who are the five people that you could call and say, you know, there's a need and I need someone to go with me. Will you just drop everything and come run with me? We live in very isolated, individualistic lives, and we have to push back against that as a church community, not only for the wholeness and the joy of ourselves, but to be the church in this world that's desperately in need. Things got rocked at 9-11. Fear, insecurity, division, suspicion, all kinds of things are brewing in this pot that we call contemporary American, contemporary Western world and otherwise. And, and, and the only remedy for it is for us to be what God intended for us to be in our culture, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our workplaces, in our school systems. We need to be the power and the presence of Jesus living through us. And we can't do it as individuals. We need to do it together in community. But we fear community. Satan will seek to isolate you from community. He will say, you just go about, you put your head down, you just check those things off in your life every day, and and, and it's not going to be fine. Jesus built you to have community. Like Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he has community. You were created in his image. You have to press into your isolation, into your individualism, and choose to become a part of the way. And then the people of the way will make a powerful way to redeem and rescue and save others. Scripture is filled with what's called the one another's. Greet one another. Romans 16, 16, accept one another. Romans 15, 7, encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, serve one another. Galatians 5, 13, forgive one another. Colossians 3, 13, bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2, honor one another. Romans 12, 10, teach one another. Romans 15, 14, be devoted to one another. Romans 12, 10, again, and submit to one another. Ephesians 5, 21. And the people of the way. They met day after day in temple courts and from house to house, it says in Acts 5.42. The people of the way lived and did life together. Are we going to do that as a body of people? Or will we live our isolated, individualistic worlds and show up for the big meeting on Sunday? I love to see the community 
during halftime, the greeting time here, afterwards, other kinds of things. I love to see the ministry time we had last week, praying over people for needs, physical needs. (sighs) They met in the temple course, enjoying the pleasure and the fellowship of one another, encouraging, praying. But they also met house to house, house to house. When we start our life groups this week, I want you to cultivate those life groups, not just speaking to the leaders here. I want you as a part of that house group, that life group, to cultivate deep, rich, loving community that do the one another's. That's our assignment for life group. Did you know that? Some of you say, no, we're going to study. Oh, we do the Breaking Free study, or we got, you know, a vision study, or a truth project study, or last week the Perez's heard about the balanced life. That's all great. And part of me, it's important what we study, because we worship God in spirit and truth. But that's what we do. And so leaders, co-leaders, emerging leaders, the one another's need to be cultivated in our life group. To go back to them. Tree. Focus on them and ask God, how do we live these out on a regular basis? So, will you take on the journey? Will you reorder your life this fall to get to know people? Not just as acquaintances, but as people you love and care for. People that you can give your life away to and that the people you give a life away to can give their life away to others. I'm like you. Many times I've gotten burnt and hurt by people. And when you get burnt and hurt by people, you withdraw. And you say, I'm not doing that again. I'm not going to offer up myself to them. I remember one time I was in a public leadership meeting and I'd shared confidentially with someone some things that were going on in my soul and they took those to come at me and attack me in a public meeting. I'll never again. I'll do that. The reason that we withdraw, there are legitimate reasons. But we have to press into significant relationships. I want to encourage you, and this is one sense to some degree, it's not a pitch, it's a way of life for us. But this is my last chance to really encourage you, in one sense, to step into group life for this fall. I have about 15, 16 people signed up for Root, and I'm pretty excited. It's great. So Root is a great journey. We can take on more. So sign up. There's a card in your seat back to know about Rooted Journey. Many of these life groups have come out of Rooted. You have before you a blessed opportunity to be people of the way. And if you choose to be people of the way, you will bring a radical transformation to your world, to people who are in need of hope, encouragement. We can't change the big world. That's God's responsibility, but we are responsible to him to change 
the world that we do have around us, our oikos, our networks. So I encourage you, the card you were given, if you've not marked it already, mark it for a group life to step into that experience. And we will not be a people that live in fear in an evil world. We will be a people that represent the power and the presence of Christ, a people of action, a people that aren't about walking a path, but living a pattern of lifestyle and dependence on the person of God himself in Christ. Our world is in desperate need of you being a witness. But you as a solo witness doesn't have nearly the impact as you as a body, a community. It's contagious when you see people who love one another, who serve one another, who you know greet one another, who bear one another's burdens. You can't buy that commodity in any warehouse store. You can't even buy it in churches. You can only experience that community by coming into contact with that community in the world. I want you to watch this video of 9-11, and I'm asking our, uh, one of our elders, Mike Bartell, to come just share a few words. He's got some scripture to share. And then we're going to close with amazing grace. And as we do this closing, may we just not uh, commemorate that tragedy of 15 years ago and memory. But may we be mobilized to do something about it 15 years later. So many people I remember in those weeks as pastors saying, what do we do? What can we do? And I remember just turning us back to say, we just need to love one another. We need to be there for one another and we need to show them the stability and the power and the presence of Jesus Christ himself who is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the way that you go. So use these moments of reflection concerning 9-11 as a means of encouragement to be a people of the way. And then when we come to close with the Amazing Grace song will receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your communication cards, but your group life cards if you've yet to cross the line of saying, I want to be a part of the way. be able to define the word jihad. On that day, something happened that changed everything. That day was a Tuesday. For most of us, our only connection to the events of that day was what we saw on television. However, we are all connected and that we all have a place. For some of us, it's a spot on the highway. For others, it's in an office. Or at coffee with a friend. 